And Brumi, are you ready? Yes. Mariana, you ready? ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Three, two, one. Hello. Welcome to the Let's Talk Sciences Declassified STEM Survival Guide podcast. My name is Audrey and I'm one of the site coordinators at Let's Talk Science, also known as LTS at the University of Manitoba. And my name is Ramir and I'm one of the assistant coordinators at Let's Talk Science. You are now listening to the episode three, Life as a Second Year Pharmacy Student. The third episode for our uh, first podcast series, The Farm Survival Guide. If you haven't listened to our first two episodes, we highly recommend checking them out to listen to the experiences of individual students' uh, journeys into the PharmD program and what it's like to be a first-year pharmacy student at the College of Pharmacy at the U of M. So just a disclaimer, the experiences of our guests today is not a reflection of all pharmacy students. Everyone has different experiences and stories to share. So if you are thinking about applying to the College of Pharmacy at the University of Manitoba, we did link the PharmD Program Admission Requirements Bulletin in the description of this episode for your reference for a more thorough explanation of the PharmD Program Criteria from the College of Pharmacy at the U of M. Our guest for today is Mariana Pozderka. She's a second year PharmD student at the College of Pharmacy at the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. And she is the president-elect of the University of Manitoba Pharmacy Students Association, aka UMSA. So welcome to uh, our podcast, Mariana. Thank How you are for you having doing me. Today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. How are you? Pretty good. I uh, just ate my lunch. Um, I will know it is six p.m. when we're recording. Yeah. Uh, well, I ate my breakfast <laughs> yeah. at like two p.m. So reading week is online yeah. school. Oh yeah, reading week. <laughs> Undergrad reading week. Reading week. So. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. once again, welcome. So, our first question. So you are in your second year in the PharmD program, but you have been a student of the College of Pharmacy for three years. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, it sounds like a riddle, right? It's like you're in, in second year farm D, <laughs> but you've been a student for three years, uh, but you didn't fail a year. So what happened? Um When I was applying into the College of Pharmacy, they were transitioning from the Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy program to the PharmD program. And this is a switch that most universities in Canada and certainly in the United States have already uh, transitioned through. So it's not something particularly new, but it's a change that had to happen. And my class, the class of 2023, is in the middle of this transition year. So when we applied, we applied with the BSc Farm requirements. Um, That was one year of prerequisites. And then we did one year in the BSc Farm program, and then we transitioned into another first year, but this time in the PharmD program. So we had two first years. Uh, It's exciting to finally not be in first year. Uh, But that's the complicated explanation to that question. I see. Two first years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, probably the only class that has that experience. So that's going to be a fun fact that'll follow us for the rest of our lives. <laughs> the guinea yeah. pigs. All right. So before um, applying to pharmacy school, did you pursue an undergrad no, degree? No, I, I did one okay. year of, of the prerequisites, just exactly what was, what was needed to get in. Um, and you could do that when you were applying for the BSc Farm program. Now with the PharmD, it's, it's two years. 
I, I came into university knowing that I wanted to do this. And so I had, um, I had a few courses that I transferred from, uh, from high school that could lessen my load a little bit. And I had a pretty, uh, a pretty good first year picking up the rest of the prerequisites I needed. And I applied right away. And thankfully I, I, I got in on that try. Um, in my class though, there's so many people who have completed degrees or who have partially completed degrees in in fields, you know, ranging from chemistry to genetics to English. Uh, there are people who have completed like a degree in nursing already. And one of the beautiful things that I think exists in pharmacy and in other professional programs is how many different roads people can take to get there. But then we're all in the same place and we all get to use that diverse background that we have in this new setting. What was it like taking those IB credits in high school? It was a really challenging experience, um, but I think it, it was really rewarding as well. Um, in, in IB, your classes are a little bit smaller. I think you, you get to know people better because you're taking uh, a lot of the same classes together. And the IB program in general, in addition to courses, also includes like an extended essay that you're writing, which is a taunting task. It's like a 4,000 word essay. And, and I think in high school, it's really taunting, but it really sets you up to learn a lot of the research tools and skills that are helpful in university. You're encouraged to volunteer and you're encouraged to um, explore your creative and your active sides. It's a very kind of holistic balanced program. I'm really proud that I had done it. And um, I, I would I would encourage people to look into it. Um, and a similar, I think, for AP courses, you know, it, it is a, a challenging uh, thing to undertake, but it's really rewarding in the long run. I think that's a good thing when it comes to academics, that um, the creative side and yeah. the uh, academic side. I, I've seen this TED talk where it's like, music when you're when you know how to play music your brain is like more there's this part in the brain yeah. that connects the two hemispheres and then that gets bigger and then there's yeah. basically more connections that's so true that you bring that up right because i think oftentimes uh i remember in high school i sometimes felt like i had to choose or in junior high i had to choose and it was like you know pick one you're either going to develop your science side or you're going to develop your creative side and you kind of are torn between the two so finding ways to integrate both is really really cool um and i think also really important to develop yeah and also you can get uh you know a skill like playing a guitar or something valentine's yeah. day you get to play for your yeah. loved one but uh, anyways, <laughs> next question is, um, could you tell us a little bit about the uh, transition um, and how the transition was like from the start of pharmacy school to where you are now in terms of the workload and what is required of you as a, mm -hmm. a student? That, that's another really good question. And I think my answer to this one will will differ from uh, from even someone who's in the class of 2024 who has come in and is doing just the first year of, of PharmD. My first year in pharmacy, I was still taking a lot of uh, a lot of science courses. So I was taking biochem, organic chemistry, physiology, and those have now moved to be prerequisites to pharmacy. But at the time, that was my first year in the program. And I think even now in, in the PharmD program, the first year has some of those pathophysiology, pharmacology courses. But then as you continue into the program, you move on to courses that focus more on clinical reasoning. And even, even your courses that are like 
math and science heavy, they're centered around cases. They're centered around scenarios that you will actually see in a, in a practice setting. The other really big distinction between your first and second year in pharmacy is that in second year, you get to go out on rotations. So you go out on your clinical practicum in community pharmacy in January and then in hospital pharmacy one of the months in the summer. And that's where you get to do a lot of this kind of applying and adjusting of what you've learned in courses. So, you know, you, you, you've learned, you've been given a really good solid knowledge base, uh, but now you get to actually apply it to answering patient questions and make an impact and then also adjust your knowledge and perhaps research something's a bit deeper um, or look at something through, through a different lens because that's what your patient before you needs in that moment. So, that's, I think, the biggest shift that happens between first and second year, at least, again, in, in, in the experience that my class has had. You mentioned rotations. So mm-hmm. you, you were able to go on rotations already, right? Yes. How, yeah. how, what was it like for you? I really loved it. Like it was, I mean, it, it was nerve wracking at first. It was nerve wracking for probably the first week, um, but it, it's truly cool to be able to impact patient lives. And to be able to help people firsthand and answer their questions firsthand, and I just I also really love talking to people and and being uh, being uh, physically distancing for for a few yeah. for a few months now, close to a year now. It was really nice to go out and just meet so many different people and have phone conversations with them and and have face to face conversations with them. So so that was really exciting. And as well, I think seeing how things work in a real life setting is always really cool. Seeing the the way that theory gets applied um, is it's it's always really special and exciting. Was there a um, was there a specific experience or a, a memory from your rotation that mm. really you remember the most or mo- more than others? So many. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot. I I think there were. I mean, one one of the interactions that I remember with a patient is uh, a patient had come and they wanted to get a certain medication that's available over the counter. Like you don't need a prescription for it. And they wanted to get it for their, for their husband. And, you know, in our conversation, as I was talking to them about how to use it and, and what to watch out with it, uh, they mentioned that their husband was actually on a medication that would have a really serious drug interaction with this one and potentially a life-threatening drug interaction. And that it was so um it, it was really so meaningful to be able to notice that and help them in that moment and help them make the right decision and prevent harm down the road and that's a huge part of our role as pharmacists is acting as as these sort of safe keepers of a very powerful uh, arsenal of medications that can be really really useful um, but that can also lead to harm if they're not used in the right way. So being able to actually do that and to um, to help people out when they're having those questions was really, really impactful. Yeah, pharmacists are really important. Yeah. So from your own perspective, um, I know a lot of people right now during the pandemic, it's been a really tough year um, and it's been quite stressful. Has there any been... Has there been any challenges um, being a PharmD student during the pandemic? And are there any aspects of being on campus that you miss at all? 
I think similar to being any other student during this pandemic, the most challenging thing is, you know, you're, you're, you miss the kind of learning experience that you're used to. I think that there are some things that are just, they're harder to learn online. Um, I think there's a lot of courses that um, it's just, when concepts are really challenging and you're at home on your own, it can feel like you're the only one struggling and it can feel isolating. And so, and I think the people teaching also don't get the benefit of being able to look out at a class and see that everyone's lost or how confused everyone is. And you're not able to turn to the person beside you and say, do you know what's going on? Um, so that, that's been really challenging, but I think that that is the case for, for all students and just highlights in a way how we've had to almost be more vocal. Like we've had to get more comfortable with, with saying in the chat function or saying or unmuting ourselves and saying, yeah, I don't get it. Can you, can you repeat that again? And can you repeat that part? And can you go back to that and actually play a much more active role in making sure that we're getting all that we can out of our courses? And then of course I miss people. Like that is, yeah, same. pharmacy is very small. So you really mm -hmm. get to know the people who you're in class with and the people in other classes. Um, and we, of course, connect a lot. We connect a lot online. We connect a lot through Zoom. We message each other, but nothing fully replaces that kind of in-person contact. So, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see um, with the uh, pool tables, table tennis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> IQs. cubes. IQ, that's yeah. yeah. I even forgot mm. the name. Oh my goodness, come on. Oh, it's been a while. I'm going to go back to campus and get lost. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to degrees. <laughs> degrees? Yeah. The food. Oh, yes, I, I, never, food. I never had the budget. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to uh, follow up with a question. Um, yeah. So regarding the, the pandemic, how have you personally adjusted um, Academics wise, like through studying, mm -hmm. as, as you've mentioned, all of the classes have basically changed to virtual online, even the exams and quizzes are online. And um, I just want to say I, I had my physio quiz uh, about three days ago or last week. Mm -hmm. And it was virtual. And then it was we had 20 minutes to answer 15 questions. And it was really tough. Um, for those people who hear this, you know, and in, it's in my class, you know, I've I feel you. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what can you tell us about adjusting um, and maybe scheduling uh, your studies or mm -hmm. just time management in general, how it's changed through the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think that that kind of scheduling that you mentioned, you have a pretty rigorous schedule when you are in on campus and you have places to be at certain times. I think when it's, so it's awesome that our lectures get recorded. I love that. Um, but I think that that makes it really easy to then uh, not go and then, <laughs> and then yeah. just watch it later. And then it, it piles up like that. So one of the things that I've tried to do is always force myself to actually attend each of them and, 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 and try my best to prepare for each lecture as though that was the only time it was going to happen. So I actually try to do, you know, look through the notes before that day, do the pre-readings before that day. And I'll admit, uh, I don't always do that. Right. So I think at the very least striving for maintaining that kind of, uh, a, a routine is important, but 
yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's very challenging. And I think another part of it is uh, allowing yourself to be more forgiving when, when things don't work out or when things are tough and remembering again, that you're not the only one in that kind of, uh, in that kind of challenging circumstance. So even though it feels that way when you're the only one, I'm going to write that down for myself also. (laughs) (laughs) Good tips. Go to class. No, (laughs) but it also depends, right? People learn differently. And so I think there are some people who like, they read a textbook and they can just remember it off the way. And yeah, in that case, I, I, sure, you know, if that is what works for you, then you, maybe you don't even need to need to be attending or you need to be learning that way. But, um, just finding what, what actually is working for you is probably the most important thing. I also struggle not going to class too. So I just watch the recording later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to rewatch the recording lecture, uh, the recording sometimes too, because it's like, yeah. oh, I, I missed that or I totally tuned out or yeah. Mm-hmm. None of our profs yeah. watch the podcast, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. We don't we, know. We, don't know. <laughs> we know that you're um, the president-elect in UMSA. Can you tell us a little bit about your role as the president-elect in UMSA, and um, how can someone get involved with the council? And are there any other um, organizations um, that pharmacy students can participate? I love that question. Um, there are so many ways that pharmacy students can get involved. Uh, pharmacy actually has two separate uh, student councils that work together. So one of them is the UMSA council that you mentioned that um, I have the privilege of being president-elect for. The other one is CAPSI council. So CAPSI stands for the Canadian Association of Pharmacy Students and Interns. And um, as you can tell by the fact that it's called Canadian, it is a national uh a body that represents pharmacy students across all 10 pharmacy schools in Canada. And so we have a local council. We send representatives to that, uh, to, to the national council at CAPSI. And CAPSI does a lot of really great things. They put on, a, they typically put on a conference every single year called Professional Development Week. Uh, last year it was in, uh, so in January of 2020, it was in Montreal. And obviously January of this year, it, uh, it couldn't happen, but it's turned to professional development webinars. And they also have competitions for students uh, that compete in and they advocate for for pharmacy on the national level. So they really do a lot of great things. Uh, They help organize Pharmacist Awareness Month or Pharmacist Appreciation Month as it's recently been renamed to. Uh, And that is actually that's March. So that's coming up. Or if you're listening to this in March when this podcast is released, that's um, it'll be ongoing at that time. So that is provides a lot of opportunities for students to get involved really in, in anything that they're interested in. So if they're interested in, um, in advocacy, there's a committee for that. If they're interested in marketing and promotions, there's a committee for that. If they're interested in, um, if they're interested in constitutional writing and, and relooking at the bylaws that, that CAPSI has, there's also a committee for that. Um, so that provides a huge opportunity again for that, for that kind of involvement. And then there's also UMSA Council and, and UMSA, I think of it as the, as the association that is local and almost works kind of horizontally because we get to send, we send a liaison to the students union. We send a liaison to the university Senate. We send a liaison to the college of pharmacists, Manitoba, which is the regulatory body that makes up all the rules for pharmacists in the province. We send a liaison to the, um, 
Canadian Society of Hospital Pharmacists. We send a liaison to Pharmacist Manitoba, and now I'll stop listing all of the, all of the liaisons in our mm-hmm. council, but there's a lot. Um, and that way we get to connect horizontally and make sure that pharmacy students are represented at all of those areas here, uh, whereas CAPSI gets to connect with that national level kind of more vertically to make sure that pharmacy students are represented at that level. It's great that you ask how to get involved with council. We just had our elections for CAPSI and UMSA councils, and there are a ton of positions for students to run for and a ton of ways for them to get involved. Um, and then there's also those CAPSI committees uh, that, that do a lot of great work or CAPSI competitions or CAPSI, uh, at this point, webinars or online events. Wow. Lots going on. <laughs> Yeah, a lot. That was more than I. Yeah, more than I expected. (laughs) For a small, yeah, for for like a small class or a small college, I think it it truly is a lot, and that's really inspiring to see all the time. Is how many things we can put on, even though we're we're not a lot of bodies. It's great to see that there are many opportunities for students to get involved in the community. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of organizations that you can participate in, what are some extracurricular activities or organizations you took part in prior to being a PharmD student? Mm-hmm. And sort of what skills did you gain from these extracurriculars and how has it sort of helped you now as a PharmD student? Mm-hmm. I really love that question. Um, I was I was really involved when I was in high school, uh, and I figure I should give a shout out to my high school. It was Miles McDonald Collegiate, so go Buckeyes! Um, and I, you know, I, I co-chaired a lot of uh, committees, the Youth and Philanthropy Committee. We had um, the Education for Sustainable Development Committee. It was sort of like the environmental club at our school. And so I was, I was really involved in high school and then I graduated. And obviously I think a lot of that ended just because I graduated and I kind of determined no more, no more involvement. I'm just going to focus on academics and I'm just going to focus on school. And that's pretty much what I did that one prerequisite year. I think I, I still had a few things that I was involved in, but definitely not to the same extent. And uh, when I got into pharmacy, I knew someone who was two years ahead of me in the program and I I got in and I asked her like, okay, any advice? And she said, get involved, like do things, Um, get involved with council, get involved with the pharmacy community, Uh, volunteer your time, lead in initiatives. And I was like, no, I'm not about that anymore. I (laughs) pharmacy school is hard. You retired. Yeah, I'm done. I retired. I said, (laughs) pharmacy school is hard. I'm going to just focus on my classes. I'm really scared about spreading myself too thin. Um, And so that was kind of my, my outlook. And I think that that's the outlook of a lot of people when they get into a challenging professional program is like, Oh no, there's no way that I can, I can do anything other than read my textbook. Um, But that's, I, I, I quickly realized that, that was not true. Um, I, I saw a number of things that I thought could have been improved and, and I kind of thought, well, why should I wait for someone else to, to come along and have to improve them? And I think that that's something that all of us should ask ourselves is if you're seeing something that can be helped, if you're seeing an issue in your community, if you're seeing an issue at your university, why can't it be you that speaks up? And so I think when it comes to the skills that you gain from uh, for, from that kind of involvement, you you gain a lot of like I, I, so 
even the term extracurricular, I kind of have a problem with because it makes it sound like these are extra bonus points or something. When in reality, I think this is so fundamental to your learning as well. Like, yes, you have your curriculum, you have your academic courses that will give you a knowledge base. And that will also, I think, to some extent, give you uh, skills in, in group work and in teamwork and in leadership and in showing initiative and in public see courses moving towards that, but to learn how to collaborate and where you're going to learn how to speak up and where you're going to learn how to plan a lot of unique things that you're doing for the first time. That happens when you're, when you're volunteering with organizations. That happens when you're getting involved in student government. And those are skills that you're not going to really get anywhere else. So, so get involved. Very well said. And I think it also ties like hand in hand with um, the creatives mm -hmm. and the academics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, as, as you can see, I don't want to, I don't mean to flex, but like I have some instruments that I'm practicing <laughs> with. I don't really know how to play the piano, but I'm mm -hmm. learning. But the thing is like, like that type of that tag, Ted talk that I uh, I've seen that it helps you. You may not notice it um, as you're doing it, but, in the long run, the long term, um, it's very helpful. And uh, your skills, such as, as you've mentioned, um, leadership, public speaking, which is, are really mm -hmm. important. Um, and, and not even just in academics, but job interviews, yeah. for example, right? it can be yeah. helpful as well. Yeah. So that being said, I'd just like to ask you what your typical week is like mm -hmm. as a second year PharmD student. How, how, how does it yeah. look like a yeah. typical week? So when we're, we're in courses like we are right now, um, I think, again, it looks similar to the week of most, uh, most university students. You know, you, you wake up, you have courses uh, in pharmacy. You don't really get to pick your schedule. It's all, it's all determined for you. So we generally have courses that go from like 9 a.m. They wrap up around 2, 2.30, 3 p.m. So a lot of your, your day up until then is, is in lectures. Um, sometimes in labs. So we have skills labs where we learn uh, things like, you know, therapeutic checking of prescriptions, counseling patients on their medications. Right now, we have a lot of our skills labs are focused on hospital skills because that's the rotation we'll be doing this summer. So we're doing a lot of reading medication orders and, and thinking through how we would prepare a certain medication that has to go up to a ward to help treat a patient. And then after, after that wraps up, um, it's a mix of, you know, studying for, for courses, going over the material again, uh, thinking of it in new ways, reorganizing it and restructuring it, uh, being in, in meetings with other students, doing group work, doing work with council, volunteering, doing things like this. And, uh, and then, yeah, I, I think that it probably will sound familiar to a lot of other students. When you're on rotations, of course, it's very much, you know, you're, you're generally in January, I was working like a 9, 9.30 to 5.30 uh, schedule at the community pharmacies. Sometimes I was doing a 1 to 9 p.m., so doing an evening shift. And uh, going out there every single day would also differ because it would depend on what kind of, uh, you know, what patients come to see the pharmacy, what kind of things you have planned to research or to work on that day. So, yeah. And during uh, all this, you were still doing, you, you know, you're still um, 
in in the council and what do you call it? You, you're still in the role of for example the president-elect of umsa right and you're mm -hmm. still involved in other organizations during yeah. the lectures yeah. and so how how do you how do you manage that well i think first of all we like, i have i'm really fortunate to have a really strong and helpful council so that is that just means the world right being able to have dependable people um who are helping you out and supporting you and and being able to fill in each other's gaps or um help in any way that we can that it's all a team effort um but balances i, I think that's a common question balance is, is always hard um, and there's always, I think when you, when you take things on, there's always a risk of burnout and part of how I've approached balancing things is I have, I have my non-negotiables. Like there are things that I will not compromise on. And those are different for every single person, right? So, you know, for someone, they, they can't, they won't ever compromise on the, physical activity that they need to get or on, you know, spending time with certain people in their lives or on sleeping. And I think that that knowing what those non-negotiables are for you is very important. So for me, for instance, um, I, I totally sacrifice on my sleeping, um, which is not great, but, but that is one thing that I have, um, you know, I know I'm still able to function, even if it's a little bit less than it should be. And I, I know for other people, that is a core thing that they're, they're not going to do. And again, being able to know yourself in that way and know what is most important and prioritize that is, that is key to any kind of balancing act that you do. I just want to say, as long as you're <laughs> sleeping, you know, just... Yes. Yes. For the purposes of, uh, of, of, yeah, telling people, yes, you should sleep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, just to wrap up kind of that uh, whole question um, and regarding that yeah. topic, um, do you have any like examples on uh, how to manage time better, like any um, scheduling tips or something, or uh, maybe an app, scheduling app that you can recommend? And also for someone who mm -hmm. has burnt out, um, what can you uh, say to those mm. people who have burnt out? As far as um, your, your first question about kind of scheduling tips, I think the, the only really app that I use is the Outlook calendar. Um, that is, I'm pretty sure there are much better um, apps out there, better things out there. I used to have a productivity planner where you like work in 25-minute um, chunks called Pomodoros. So you, you, uh, yeah. yeah, you do like a 25 minute chunk of work and then you can take a five minute break and you can only do up to like five Polidoros on a single, um, project or on a single thing that you're doing. Um, I had tried that. I, I, I had sort of varied success with it. I didn't, I, I think that again, it's, this is one of those things where you need to do a lot of soul searching and figure out what works for you. So what, what works for me, I think oftentimes is, is knowing what it is that I need to do. Oh, I have a, a to-do app. That's the other thing is constantly knowing, having a full picture of what is it that I need to be working on. Um, and sometimes you'll get tired of working on one thing and then 
knowing that instead of starting to procrastinate at that point, which is very easy and which I do way too much of, um, being able to say, oh, okay, here's this other thing that you also have to do uh, so that you're, you're kind of semi-productive, whereas maybe it's not the top thing that you need to get done, but it's going to be a good break from the other thing that you've gotten tired of doing. So that's, I don't have much wisdom when it comes to that. It, um, as, as I'm sure that a lot of your listeners will have other, um, apps or ideas or tricks that they, that they do. Um, and so I have a lot to learn from, from that as well. Yeah. I think that was pretty helpful still. I also wish I had a better question for burnout. Um, I, I think that it's, realizing the the warning signs before you're starting to burn out is pretty important. When I, when I burn out again, it's probably because I compromised on one of the non-negotiables. So it's probably for me, there's, um, like my church is really important to me. And typically if I start to compromise on that, um, I'll, I'll be like, I'm, I'm feeling kind of off. I'm feeling off balance. And then I don't have the energy to do a lot of other things. Spending time with my family is really important. So again, if I start to compromise way too much on that or start to, um, lose those connections or relationships, and then I burn out, I'll look back and I'll see, Oh, okay. You probably haven't been giving enough time for yourself to enjoy the people around you. So that is figuring out what kind of leads to, or what, what are the warning signs that lead to, uh, to, to burnout is probably the, the, the biggest thing that I can impart. I can sort of relate to that. One of my non-negotiables is spending time with my family and I, I really value that as well. Yeah. So yeah. So our next question mm-hmm. um, is from a University of Manitoba student, and the student is wondering, what's your favorite thing about being a pharmacy student? My favorite thing about being a pharmacy student is being part of this profession that's truly a community. Um, and we we kind of have this pun where we say we're a family, um, and it's kind of cheesy, but I think, I think it's also true. Um, again, when you have pretty small classes, um, they're not, they're not the smallest across the country. They're not the smallest even in, in health sciences, but I think that you, you get to know each other really well. Um, you get to also have opportunities to connect with pharmacists who are already working in this field and you'll, find that oftentimes you're meeting the same people again and again because they're really involved in the profession. So having a kind of tight-knit group, being able to connect with people. And, and when I think of people in pharmacy, you know, I think of someone who's doing some really cool things. Typically, I already know someone who knows them. So typically, you're no more than like one or two relationships away from from knowing that person, and that is really cool and special. So like making connections, yeah. It's fairly. I mean, it, it's still it's still an effort, right? Um, and it's still you know a lot of putting yourself out there and and finding conferences. Or it's so much harder now. One of my favorite yeah. parts of, of like of any kind of event or conferences used to be, you know, meeting new people and there's like no way to do that on Zoom. No one has yet made up a way to like have a Zoom mingle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think breakout. Maybe yeah. Breakout maybe rooms or breakout rooms. Yeah. Some yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. 
we had our, our virtual career fair this year on Zoom and we were using breakout rooms and going from, from room to room. So that was also oh, cool. a really cool way to meet new people. Um, yeah. So there are some ways. Definitely better in person. And hopefully it'll be safe to do that yeah. soon. Hopefully. But anyways, uh, our next question for you is uh, what or who inspired you to pursue a career? Yeah, in that's a really easy one for me. It was my sister. Um, so she was a pharmacy, uh, she's a pharmacist. She graduated in 2012. And so when she was in pharmacy school from 2008 to 2012, I was, yeah, I was like nine to 13, I guess that would have made me. And I remember uh, kind of almost living vicariously for her because she would come home and she would tell us about what happened in her rotation or she would be studying and I would be annoying her. Um, and so for anyone who has younger siblings, you probably are aware of that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I got that kind of exposure, I think, to the, to what pharmacy is through her. And that has continued through the years. So when I was thinking of what I want to do, uh, pharmacy really felt close um, and I think that a, a huge part of it is because, again, having that, knowing someone who is in that profession, it, it's just, it means everything. Um, so it means everything in terms of, of comfort level, of knowing what you're getting into, of having someone to rant to, um, of having someone who who's able to give you advice. So that was probably the greatest inspiration I had. This next question kind of transitions from mm. the previous one. Um, who are three people, or it doesn't have to be three, maybe two or one uh, person that has been the most influential in your life? Mm -hmm. That is, that's such a big question. Cause I was going to ask you like dead or alive or did they oh, do sure. I need to know them? <laughs> dead or alive? Yeah. <laughs> You know what, since we were just talking about my sister, I, I just realized in that um, answer, I think how, how influential she has been in, in my life, I think as well, right? Family, they're like the closest to us. And so they're going to have a huge influence on our, um, our choices and our direction and our values. So my mom, it's a huge influence. Uh, I talk through pretty much every single major, even minor decision with her. And um, she's such a logical thinker and is able to kind of pare down a lot of different things and show me clarity like, oh, this is what, this is really what's bothering you about this, or this is really the crux of the decision you're trying to make. So sometimes I think she knows me better than I know myself, which is probably true. Um, so I think that that is you know, th those are the, 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 the people who shape us a lot. And I think some people also kind of come and go and they shape us for some portion of our lives or in some areas. And so I can think of many amazing mentors who I've had um, who have been really influential in informing how I go about doing things or how I lead or how I, I think of the work that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, there's way more than free to count. And, and I would agree, though, um, when it comes to mentors, uh, for our listeners, I would highly suggest um, we have probably said this already or we probably will again, but mm -hmm. find a mentor because there is an, there's information out there that you don't know and someone else might know. 
So that's why、mm-hmm. I really like podcasts personally because we get to you know share knowledge、mm-hmm. and exchange.、Mm-hmm. So thank you for、uh, for sharing us that. To move on to our next question, if you weren't inspired by your sister to be in pharmacy,、mm-hmm. where would you be? Yeah,、um, law. <laughs> That is, it's probably yeah. I can see your faces because it's probably not the response that people have.、Um, I think that so. There's this one, the very first lecture that you actually get in the PharmD program. It's this lecture that's given by、uh, the former registrar of the college. So, the college CPHM,、uh, the College of Pharmacists of Manitoba, is the regulatory body for pharmacists in this province. So they come up with the rules, legislation, inspection standards. Professional development resources for pharmacists, and、um, he gives this lecture on ethics and professionalism. And he he made a point in it that pharmacists are the healthcare professionals that are most intimately involved with the legislation and the laws. And if you think about it, that's really true because we're, we're we're checking. Uh, prescriptions. I mean, I think first and foremost to ensure that they don't harm the patient and to ensure that they're the best possible option for the patient, but also to ensure that they meet the requirements that they have to meet、uh, for a lot of these medications. We're talking about some pretty hard stuff、um, that also is governed by many rules at the federal level and at the provincial level, and so. I I think that that it's it's not as unnatural a connection as as it might initially seem like,、um, but it's something that I I had considered、uh, before. I think when I was when I was pretty young, I had thought of of doing law, and it's an interest that I think is still there. So I've gotten to do some cool things in pharmacy where I've worked for the college,、um, and I'm actually volunteering with them right now and doing things where I'm looking for legislation and in other provinces and legislation here、uh, to come up with proposals and suggestions. So I've been drawn to that,、um, and I think that that is probably what I would have done instead.、Um, but again. The impact of knowing someone who is doing the profession you want to do is huge, and so I know I didn't have that for law, but I had that for pharmacy, and that that made a major difference. It's great to hear that you were sort of involved in the like the policies, and like、mm. that's like really awesome that you were sort of involved in sort of the the law aspect in a way. Yeah. And that's、yeah. cool to find that niche. I、mm-hmm. think in any profession, right? And that's why the, those kind of niches exist. And that rolls back to our conversation about making sure that you're developing more than just one aspect of your interests, because there will come a way for you to connect it to and to be、uh, maybe one of the rare people who can connect it to. So if you're developing, for instance, your your creative side really well, in addition to the side side that's interested in science and healthcare professionals.、Um, There will probably be a unique way that you can use that. Mentioned that、um, you want to build、uh, other things、mm-hmm. in connection to your current interest.、Um, you you might have heard this saying called "a jack of、mm-hmm. all trades、yeah. is a master of none." But there's also a continuation that says, "But always better than a master of one." Yeah, I was I was just. I was just wondering because um that that quote is very、uh, important to me. I just want I'm just wondering since you brought that up. I just wonder you know how I love you that you brought that up because when I was 
in high school um, and I was interested in so many different things, I was so afraid of becoming a jack of all trades, master of none, because there's like, I, I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm never going to be just, you know, fully, I'm going to need to choose at some point. I thought to myself, I'm going to have to pick and then I'll pick something, but I'm never going to be like the number one person at it. Cause I've distracted myself with all of these other things. Um, I don't think that that is true or at least that it's true anymore. When you think of how fast I think our society is changing and how fast we're realizing that we, um, you know, there's, there's gaps in our knowledge between different things. So we talk very often, I think about science or technology evolving faster than our, our philosophy can evolve or evolving faster than our laws can evolve. Um, those expose gaps that neither an expert in philosophy or laws, neither an expert in technology is going to truly be able to resolve. But I think getting a lot of people who have the ability to look at this way, to look at the issue in unique ways, that's where you're going to find um, solutions, right? So I, I think that being able to connect different areas of knowledge is always going to be really valuable. So I wouldn't be, you know, if I could say, I think to uh, my younger self, address that worry in some way, it would be to, to just express that your people who are able to connect those different fields are always going to be very necessary. So you're never going to, you're never going to be at a loss. It's never going to be a waste that you spend time investing into something uh, unique, but that's different from the main thing you're focusing on. So you mentioned, um, about your younger self that kind of yeah. leads into my next question. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self at the start of your journey in pharmacy school now that you're a second year PharmD student? Yeah, I think uh, trend. Yeah. When I think of myself pre pre pharmacy, that one year that I did, um, I had, you know, I was very focused on, on academics, obviously. And I was really focused on, I told myself this lie that if I didn't have an A plus and everything, I wouldn't get into pharmacy. And I call that a lie for like very intentionally because it's very not true. But that was my outlook in, in first year. And I, I mean, I, I did pretty well. I was really happy with how I did. But at the same time, I got to pick every course I was taking. I got to pick my schedule. Um, I had a lot of freedom to kind of cushion challenging courses with GPA boosters. And then when I got into pharmacy and I could no longer do that, um, and I was doing worse than I had done before, that sent me into this kind of downward spiral of like, oh no, I'm not as smart as I thought. Why, how did I get in here? Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be a pharmacy student. I'm not good enough to be a pharmacist. And I think the advice that I would give myself is to know that if you do your best, that's enough. If you work hard, you'll be okay. 
Um, and I think that would have caused me a lot less grief during my first semester in pharmacy school, because there's, you know, you have to be cognizant when you're entering a challenging program that it's, it's going to be harder and you're going to have less control over things and you have to rebound pretty quickly. Like there will be some moments that are disappointing. And I'm sure that you know this as students in university as well. Like there will be some, some moments that are disappointing, um, and being able to be resilient and, and come back from them and focus on the next thing is very, very important. You also mentioned yeah. the lie that you told yourself that the grades define, you know, your intelligence. Um, I'd like to explore more about the lies or the myth this time in terms of pharmacy yeah. school. Are there any myths about pharmacy that you mm -hmm. want to debunk? Yeah, that's a good one to start with. Um, I think, yeah, the, the myth that you're not going to get in if you don't have all A's or A pluses, um, that is absolutely not true. Um, the, the myths about pharmacy in particular, I think, one of them is that there's kind of only two two fields in pharmacy. You're either a community pharmacist who's working, you know, at your local store, or you're a hospital pharmacist who's working in 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 hospital. So those are not the only two things you can do as a pharmacist. There are many pharmacists who are working in primary care clinics who are seeing their own patients, uh, making recommendations, some that are able to prescribe for their patients as well. There are, of course, pharmacists working in research, pharmacists working for industry, pharmacists working in academia, pharmacists working in policymaking at the government level, at the college, um, pharmacists in administrative positions. There's so many different spheres that you can go into. And in fact, probably finding being open to exploring those different spheres is one of the important things to do while you're a student. So that's, that's one. Um, of course, there's the classic, we don't just count pills, um, that I hope that we've gotten kind of past that already. I think there's sometimes, um, this, you know, lack of awareness of what it is that pharmacists do, which is really probably fair. Um, I think I knew a lot less, even having a sister who's in pharmacy, I knew a lot less about what the job was than I know right now being in it. So if there's, and, and that job also, I think is continuously evolving. So we're, we have a lot more patient contact than we had even years ago. We are ultimately checking to, to ensure that every single medication is correct for that patient, that it is the best thing out there for them specifically, that there's no harmful interactions like we talked about at the start of this episode um, that could be very easily missed. Um, so it, the, the work is really, it, it's really exciting to be able to impact patient lives in so many ways each day. That's really great to, yeah. to hear. Are there any um, myths that you've heard in particular that you're like, is that true? <laughs> Um, actually my mom is a pharmacy technician. Yeah. So she, she, I know that pharmacists don't count pills every day and that's not all they do. Um, I guess like the only myth that I hear from other people is the counting pills myth, but yeah, I don't know. Premier, have no, you heard any? Is the same too. And that's kind of basically I, I know how it works, but it's, it is true though that, you know, especially for 
just the community uh, pharmacists, or I'm not actually sure if it's entirely true, but they're not really the one who's receiving the patients, right? Or the one at the um, mm-hmm. at the desk. They're in the back and then they're handling. Um, well, I'm not sure exactly what they're handling, but they're they're mostly in in the back. And then if you're going to your local store, for example um and you go and get pick up your drugs then they'll only really talk interact with you once they're giving you the drug right so yeah yeah i guess that's why it's easy for well most uh people to come up with these myths but it's not true guys it's not true yeah it's a lot more to it yeah you can easily be like well what, what are they doing back there and i i think that yeah that's that's something that and you don't see it from behind the counter, it's tough to expect people to know what that work is. Probably checking, probably, probably again, comparing your patient file with the prescription you got with the, with what's actually been filled, probably that. Um, but you're right. You know, they, they do come out and ask, answer any questions that you have when they're actually giving you the medication and, um, are also available to answer any question you have about anything over the counter. Right. So we, we had done a lot of that during the month that we had in community pharmacy. And I just like to say just that in itself, you know, I mean, they're still advising you how the drug works and for mm-hmm. the listeners, you, know, you got to listen to your pharmacists because you could, it could be harmful for you if you don't listen. So yeah, could save your life. And I thought that so, was an overstatement before before my month in community. I thought that was kind of an overstatement. I'm like, oh, you know, that that doesn't happen as often yeah. as it does, but it, it truly does. Most of our listeners, um, some are high school students, some are in junior high, uh, a few are from university. Um, could you maybe give some advice to those students who may be interested in going into pharmacy or maybe just not pharmacy, like healthcare in general, or mm-hmm. um, who maybe interested in something that they're really passionate about what advice can you give them to sort of um help them stay motivated Mm -hmm. I, i think one of the most important things is to learn what pharmacy or whatever else it is they want to pursue learn what it actually entails learn what it actually is so if you if you know someone who's a pharmacist uh, or you have like a family friend or an acquaintance or um, a friend of a friend, don't be afraid to reach out to them and to ask them, like, what is it that you do on a day-to-day basis? Um, do you enjoy what you're doing? What is it that other pharmacists are doing? I think that for me, having that exposure to my sister, it again, it meant everything. Um, I think that there are, you know, a lot of people in my class who have family members who are in pharmacy and that is what inspired them or that is what gave them insight into the profession. And I think that if you don't have that, um, there are ways to seek it out. And if, if, if you don't know someone who knows someone who's a pharmacist, um, I'm serious, like email the College of Pharmacy and tell them that you're interested in pharmacy and that you want to talk to talk to someone who's a pharmacist or talk to and, and be specific like do you, you can talk to a, a pharmacist who's working in a particular field uh you can if you want to talk to a pharmacy student say i want to talk to a fourth year i want to talk to a second year student um i'm pretty sure they'd be able to facilitate that and they'd be more than happy to 
I know I personally would be more than happy to to talk to anyone who reaches out and who has questions about it or who wants to be connected to someone who's uh, who's a practicing pharmacist right now. Uh, getting out there and finding out and learning more is critical. And that's when that's that is what's going to tell you whether you want to actually pursue it or not and that is what's going to keep you motivated in pursuing it. And when I was in in grade 11, um I briefly thought I wanted to do engineering. And so what I did is I literally went to the engineering building at the University of Manitoba and every single floor of the engineering building is like a different department. So it's like electrical engineering. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, computer, <laughs> computer engineering. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't even think anyone would talk to me, but they did at every single level. I could find someone, whether it was someone in their dean's office or a professor uh, or, or a student who I could talk to who the office helped me find, uh, who told me about what that, what that field of engineering was all about. And through that, I figured out, you know, this is really cool, but probably not for me. And it's much better to figure that out. Like the sooner you figure it out, the better. Um, it's much better to figure it out when you're in high school or when you're in junior high than when you're uh, two or three years into the program. And so that is my piece of advice is, is learn about it. Um, I'm sure there's like YouTube videos and, and blogs and things about pharmacy and about what pharmacists do, um, social media accounts. So seek those out. And I think that'll, that'll give you a lot of insight into the profession. It's really good advice. It really is. And, uh, I would agree once again, because, and that, that goes with, um, the seeking a mentor right like mm-hmm. we've uh, mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that you know there's some inf- if you need information there's you're not going to know it unless you you seek it of course right and, yeah. and yeah. it'll yeah. probably mm-hmm. be better to seek someone who's already in in the field right so yeah. they'll have mm-hmm. probably the most information that you need i'm just gonna say like reach out like don't be afraid to cold email yeah. someone that is the probably the best skill you can have is to be able to to cold email and to reach out to someone most people most of the time are more than happy to help i'm glad that you mentioned mentor earlier because at the start of my first year in uni i actually seeked out a mentor and got paired with a mentor who was like a she was already in her third year in genetics Mm -hmm. and she really like talked me through how sort of how the classes are you know this is what to expect and like she even helped me on some of um like my assignments and sort of just sort of helped guide me mm-hmm. so yeah having a mentor is is really important i'd say yeah and it's good that mm-hmm. you you found someone like was that like in mm-hmm. the mentorship program yeah the mentorship yeah. program yeah. I, yeah i was gonna say those programs are really really helpful mm-hmm. yeah, but i personally yeah. actually didn't get my mentor there like i had to actually email people there's this one um student he's in med school now but uh, i met him through because he gave a presentation with prep 101 which is um for mcat preparation and they do uh, Mm -hmm. seminars and presentations and he was there and then i don't know the way he told his story about his undergrad kind of uh aligned it was similar to mine so I I, uh, I talked to him after the presentation and then I got to speak with him. And then a couple months later, I found him on LinkedIn and then, and he was there and I messaged him and I was like, Oh, uh, I'm currently an undergrad right now. And then I met you 
a couple of months ago, reached out. Yeah. He replied to me right away. So that's another thing, right? You yeah. don't have to be intimidated. The, that, the worst thing they can really do is, I guess, say, say no word, I guess, if they not, not reply, not reply right? yeah. but you still yeah. won't know until you tried really. So yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, like knowing people who, who are ahead on the path that you want to go on, that is huge. And just, again, I've been fortunate to have so many mentors and I think that that also inspires people to, to give back and to mentor others. And it kind of continues this beautiful chain. And this is the point at which I'd even say like, if, so one of your listeners wants to reach out, give them my email. You have it. Like I would not, oh, yeah. I would not uh, mind at all. I would love to um, talk and, and give any advice that I can, anything that I can offer, anything that I can share again, because so many people have helped mentor me. Um, this is, this is the only way that you can give back, right? It's very hard to give back to your mentor, to someone who's years down the road ahead of you. But the way that you give back is by continuing that chain. With that being said, I uh, believe that concludes our interview. Uh, do you have any other things, any, any other thoughts, uh, advice that you would like to? I, I just want to thank you again for all of the wonderful questions. They were really, really good. And uh, I really enjoyed thinking about them and, and answering them. Um, yeah, shout out to all the awesome pharmacists doing great things. It's Pharmacist Appreciation Month for it will be when this podcast is released. 95% of Canadians live about five kilometers away from a pharmacy. And it's one of the only professions that you can go to and, and pretty much talk to right away. If you go up to the counter and say you want to talk to a pharmacist, you will talk to a pharmacist pretty quickly. Um, I don't think there's many other places that you can go and go and do that. So, so tap into that resource um, and uh, show your pharmacist you appreciate them. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mariana, for being our guest on our third episode. We really appreciate your time. I know you must be really busy studying for your courses. <laughs> um, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. Um, remember to follow us at LTS underscore U of M on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to be updated on our upcoming events. Also, feel free to follow and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, any podcast platform you can think of, we're on there. Um, yeah, so... Thank you so much. On, on the, the next episode. The one thing that really appealed to me was the life and work style balance almost. You weren't on, on call, which I really like. The responsibility really is yours to make sure you're taking care of your patients. You can't use the excuse that, oh, I'm just a student. It's like, actually, you know, you're the pharmacist. So someone has a question. How are your working hours like as a pharmacist? Is it okay, flexible? So it really does depend on what kind of pharmacist you are. There's a whole range of different specialties uh, pharmacists actually work with. Why I chose to pursue pharmacy, they were really the ones that pushed me to the, whatever you do, you can be the best at whatever you do, so. Don't let the fear of failure keep you from pursuing your dreams. If things don't work out the first time, it doesn't mean it won't work out the second time. Keep persevering. I would say you can do it. Just keep trying, even if it feels like really hard or that doesn't seem like it's going to work out, you definitely can do it. If I can do it, you guys can definitely do it. So <laughs> just keep trying is what I would say. Together, let's declassify the classified.
I've always dreamed about doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, out of podcast. I, get to do it. I get to check it off. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs>